just for a few minutes this morning, <clears throat> I don't know if I want to speak really long, but I just want to say a few things that um, just have been in my heart. And if you turn with me in your Bibles to John 13, I think that the enemy of our soul wants to just always get our eyes on something that is not Christ, right? And, um, you know, to get us engaged with, with something that is such a distraction to his nature and his mission. And when I was at this pastor's conference, um, Pastor Ronaldo had a really good word. Pastor Spelly spoke. Pastor Schaller spoke. There's just a lot of, for those that you don't know, um, Evergrace is part of a, is part of a, is an affiliation of churches called Greater Grace. We are worldwide. I think there's about 780 churches, which the number doesn't mean anything. It just means that we're everywhere. And we're little churches. We're not necessarily large churches. We have we have large churches, but uh, if you visit any greater grace church in the world, you're gonna you're gonna run into probably a smaller body of people, and um, and so that's just how the Lord has done it with us. And um, what is really unique for us as a distinctive is two things: uh, body life, which we call community or body life, where we're breaking bread with each other. You know, Kylie's walking with God. And Rhonda's walking with God, and then we meet, and then because they're both walking with God, there's broken bread in their life, and when they begin to fellowship, there is, there is blessing, right? Right. Tony walks with God, or Pastor Adam, or Michael, and you know, whenever we meet together, it's not like how great we are, or look at me, or it's really like this is what God has done in my life, and we can also meet together and pray together, bear each other's burdens, because um, this is the body of Christ, and so when we think of when we think of the church, we think of what Jesus Christ was beginning to unveil to his disciples in John 13. He began to unveil some, a beautiful, beautiful thing, a community that never existed in the world before, and that was called the Ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church. And this was something that was not made up of famous, wealthy, religious, um, you know, trendy people. It was really made up of just sinners saved by grace. Um, people that tax collectors, publicans and sinners, um, just people that with this world may have been really out as outcasts and not accepted. And so Jesus here is with his disciples. And this is what the Pharisees hated. The Pharisees really hated this. The Pharisees hated that in Luke 15, 1, that there was the publicans and the sinners were just listening to him gladly. And the Pharisees knew that Jesus was from God. Remember in John chapter, John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night it says, we know that you're from God. <laughs> All the Pharisees, we, we know it. It's clear to us, you are from God. But they're going to move against you. And, and it was just so interesting because um, when you look at a church, and when you look at a movement, when you look at a missionary movement, when you look at the Chinese church or the Korean church, when you look at the churches in Africa or in China, these are not like, these are just churches of people that are meeting together and experiencing the, the love and the humility of Christ. And I want to talk about that this morning. Um, the, uh, um, our security in the love of Christ. What is our security in the love of Christ? And so I want to look at a couple verses first before we go to um, John 13. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 25, we see the, the first Adam contrasted with the second Adam. The first Adam was, of course, we know Adam, the first man, a first woman, on the earth 
And in Genesis 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now remember that, naked and not ashamed. They're enjoying the garden, they're enjoying each other, and they're enjoying perfect unity, they're enjoying perfect communion, there's no weirdness going on, and, there's, and, the, and they were not ashamed, remember that. Then a chapter later, in Genesis 3, verse 9 and 10, right after sin happens, God comes to him and he says, God, God comes to this couple and says, where are you? And I love it because whenever we blow it, whenever we sin, whenever we just find ourselves like, man, I can't even believe that happened. Guess what God is doing? He's not coming after us to condemn us. He's like, where are you? I want to commune with you. I want to commune with you. Where are you? And I love that because sometimes we sit in our shame caves. Sometimes we're kind of in our thing. We're in our funk or whatever it is. I get in my funk. I just start doing this looping for hours. And then you know what happens? God comes and says, hey, where are you? Where are you? I want to fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. Let's break bread. And then God just kind of drags us out of our, our, out of our thing. And we become, and we become um, enraptured with, with Christ and with God's love. And so God is coming. Up. We see the first thing that God says to man. One of the first things that God says to man is he's talking as a savior, a seeking savior, a seeking God. And... And then Adam says, in verse 9 and 10 of Genesis 3, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I heard the footsteps. Okay? I remember when I was a kid and I would get in trouble, I'd be doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, and then I'd hear my dad's footsteps stomping up the stairs. You know, not a voice, not, not anything else, just, just footsteps, stomps. You know? And I think that when we live in condemnation, when we live in fear, when we live in all the weird things that we can live in because we're living in some kind of comparative program that's not even part of the gospel... We don't hear the voice of God anymore. We're just hearing footsteps. Stomp, stomp, stomp. And we're like, we're just like, we're afraid. And, and, and Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. And so what happened? They sin. Then they realize that they're naked. And then they're ashamed. And then they hid themselves. They took fig leaves. They took these big leaves and they just kind of tied it around themselves and then these fig leaves, of course, we knew after a few hours or a few days would just wither up and die. And they would have to put something else on. And this is just, this is just the world's plan. This is the world's way of, of bringing in a sense of security and peace. It's like, hey, put this fig leaf on. Put this program on. Do this. Be this way. Wear this. Talk like this. Go to this group of people. Go to that meetup. Do this. Uh, you need to change this. And guess what? All human Opinion, all human ideas that propose to us a sense of security and a sense of love and safety is something that will work for a while, but then it withers up until the next time. The next time we, we, are, we are triggered. And so the results, of, the results of sin are three things, fear, shame, and control. Guilty fear is more about what has been done. I'm afraid because I did something wrong. Okay? Here's Adam. He has guilty fear. Okay? Uh, number two, shame is more about who I am. It's something wrong with me. We've talked about this before. Guilt is something about what I've done. Shame is about what I am. There's something wrong with me. I'm uncovered. I'm exposed. I don't like the vulnerability, and I need to seek a covering in my environment. I need to hide among the stuff. You know, Saul was an insecure leader. Saul was a guy who just, he was anointed king, but when it's time for him to come out, he was like a hiding among the stuff. And we do that, all of us. I do that. We hide in the stuff. And I hide, in, I hide in the midst of all the things that I do. I could be a pastor, and I could hide in all my stuff, and I got all this stuff around me. And the body, Israel, 
needs to see their king and they need their communion. And so shame is about, it's like when, and everyone in this, in this room, we've experienced, I've, my son who is, I, I think the first, I think the first time I ever saw it was like it was age or two or three. You could just see shame on his face for a moment. And it was just, it's like, I, I was like, son, you know, like, and that you just, as a parent, you just want to dive in on that and just make sure that they understand that there's, you are loved. There's nothing wrong with you. You're loved and you're in a safe place. And so um, shame is about more about who I am. And I think, you know, I was, you know, I remember, <clears throat> I remember just, you know, li- we're living in a culture right now that is just projecting shame on people. And then number three, what happens after we are guilty, we live in shame. What, what do we do? What, is Paul, what does um, Adam do here? Adam um, snaps to control and reacting to his, his vulnerability, being exposed and ashamed. And he says, I've got to do something. I've got to control the circumstance. And the garden that he's supposed to be tending, the garden that he's supposed to be ruling over, the garden that he's supposed to be protecting, now becomes something that he's hiding in. And I think that sometimes God has given the you and I things to rule over in our life, to, to exercise blessing, to exercise the mind of God. And we wind up hiding in it because we lose sight of who we are. We lose sight of the forgiveness of sins. And, and then we snap to control. I've got to control this. I've got to control this whole environment because if I don't control it, then I'm out of control and I'm going to, and my shame will be exposed. You know, it's like, that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that the body of Christ is not a place where we need to hide our shame. So we come in and say, you know what, this is, we don't live in it, but we just understand it. In the body of Christ, in the middle of the body of Christ is a big cross that's crucified, all of that stuff. And, and I, don't need to, I don't need to snap to control because I'm in a safe place. And the second Adam, and let's turn to John chapter 13. And I, will, I want to look at this with you. Um, the second Adam, Jesus, is... He is functioning from a platform of being secure. And Adam lived in a utopia. Jesus lived in a desert. Adam had a, had a wife. Jesus had no wife. He was alone. Uh, Adam had every animal obey him uh, and had the, had the entire environment that was around him serve him. Jesus was in a, was in a wild wilderness in, in Matthew chapter 4 where there was no food. Such a stark difference between the first and the second Adam. And the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is understanding. And I love these. Listen to these verses. And before we read these verses, verses 1 through 10 in John 13, I want you to see three things. I want you to see three things about these verses. Number one, the love of Christ means that we don't need to be in control. Um, Pastor Ronaldo said this. He said, you know, uh, like love does not control. The love of Christ means that we don't need to be in control. Number two, the second thing I want us to see with this is the flesh thinks, if I'm not grabbing the wheel, things are not going to go right. You ever been in that situation? I have. I'm that kind of a person. That like, if I feel like something's getting out of control and squirrely, I'm grabbing the wheel, right? I'm grabbing that wheel, and that's human nature. And I remember when I was learning how to drive, I was in an old Dodge van in the high school parking lot, and it was a snowy day in uh, New Hampshire. And I'm driving. It was like my dad just decided, okay, we're going to teach you how to drive. I was 15. We go to the high school parking lot, and it's just all snow. I don't know if you've been in New England during the snowy times, but it was snow. You know, they plow, but it's like everybody's used to driving in snow, so it's really not a big deal. And so I'm learning how to drive. And, you know, the, and it's, this was a big old Dodge van. It had rear-wheel rear, rear drive. So every time 
I put my foot on the gas, it's like starting to, it's starting to do this. So I learned how to drive in a fishtail mode. You know, I was like, you know, doing this. And, and I just remember my dad one time grabbed the wheel because I'm like, you know, and then you know what happened? Like it even made the situation worse because I didn't know where he, what he was trying to do. And I'm trying to steer this way and he's pulling this way. And, and it created a very, it created a very um, confusing situation. Whenever we in the flesh try to grab the wheel, which is human nature, we're doing that because we feel vulnerable. We feel like, you know what, if I don't, if I don't get involved here, if I don't do something, um, then my shame is going to be exposed and everybody's going to know about the guilty, about the thing that I did. And Jesus here, number three, sacrificed fear and the need for control for communion with his disciples. And I want to talk about that control versus communion I'm say that for a few minutes. Remember, John chapter 13, Jesus here is washing the disciples' feet, right? <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> Luke 22, verse 24, and you know that there is a, that the Gospels are looking at the same stories, but from different perspectives. And sometimes, John doesn't bring it out, but the disciples here just had an argument. But <clears throat> who was the greatest? <clears throat> and that was in Luke 22, verse 24. Jesus has just told them, like, you know what? My end is near. I'm going to be with the Father. And then there's the discussion, who's the greatest? Like, isn't that crazy? Like, like hey, you know what? I'll, oh, Jesus, you're, hey, can I have the car? Can I have the house? Can I have the right hand of the throne of the Father? You know, like, there's this, you know, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous for us to see that. But it's human nature. And the disciples had just finished this, this discussion, who's really the greatest? You ever had that discussion? Like, no, I really think I should be the one that does that. Like, I think it falls upon me. Or I think, um, you know, I think I deserve this. And, and these, this is a, a conversation of entitlement. But Jesus here is not even on that level. Jesus is not even on this level of entitlement, what is deserved, what has been done to him. <clears throat> He's not even on that level. Jesus here is in John 13. Read these verses with me. We're going to go verse by verse, and we're going to be finished in 15 minutes, Lord willing. Now, before the feast of, of the Passover, <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. By the way, love them to the end does not mean to the end of the story, but to perfectly, completely love someone in such a total holistic way that they are complete and secure in the love of God. They are complete and they are secure. He, would, he had loved them to the end. Verse 2, during supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Remember, guess who's in the room with, with Jesus here? Okay? And Judas Iscariot, I don't believe he was ever saved. I mean, he, this, he never understood who Jesus was, never understood his value, never understood his, his preciousness, and he's in the room. And in verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father... Now, get this. Look at this. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, number one. Number two, and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. These three things, okay, remember, okay, before Jesus strips himself and washes feet, there are these three things that he knew and he was persuaded, he was convicted. He was, this is what he understood about who he was. He understood three things. God gave him everything into his hands, right? This is where security begins in my life. Men, the male gender, we wrestle with, with, with this. We wrestle with, with this. And when we understand the Father has given us all things into our hand, just think of it. 
God has put you into your hand the uh, answers to prayer. God has put into your hand love and joy and peace. He has put into your hands for possession these things that he's, and these things, and, and, and Jesus knew this. God had given all things into his hands. I think when we go into a squirrely situation and we don't know what's going to happen, like, you know, when we, you know, we're moving to a building and it's going to be a new thing for our church because we've always, like, I mean, since COVID, um, we've, we've just had, you know, we've had like this, this kind of very simple thing. And it's like going into something new. You know what? God has put all things in our hand. And I think that when we pray, we need to think that way. Like God has put these things into my hand. And number two, he, that he came from God. I'm from God. I'm not from Mary. I'm not from Joseph. I'm not from this uh, broken DNA, this, this, this poor, this generational, um, uh, dis- dysfunctional generational family. I am from God. And then number three, he was going back to God. Because whatever happens, I'm, gonna be, I'm going with God. These three things. And so Jesus, from this perspective, okay, he knows he's going to die, right? Is he living in guilt? Is he living in fear? Is he, is he like, okay, I've got to control the situation? Oh my gosh, Judas is in the room. Like, and what is he going to do? And, and so Jesus is like, Jesus knew the schedule and the plan of God and the horrors of what was coming, yet he knew these three things. And then it says here, it says here in verse 4, he rose from the evening meal and laid aside his outer garments. We can't do that. We can't rise above the situation. We can't rise above the, above the Judases and, 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 the, and, uh, and the, impending, the impending conspiracy of the religious system against Jesus. We can't rise above the ignorance of his disciples. We can't rise above whatever's going on in our life unless we know how these three things, that God has put all things into my hands, that there's nothing that we, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We have given, he's given us all things, the apostle Peter said, that he came from God. You know something, when you look at your life, I didn't come from Dover, New Hampshire. I didn't come from Boston. I came from God. You know, I'm, not, I'm not Jesus, and I don't, want to sound, I don't want this to sound weird, but when you look at yourself, you're not where you came from. <clears throat> you're not from wherever you're from. You're from God. You're from born from heaven, and he's going back to God. And I, I love it, because God has his, our future in his hand. He has our future in our hand. My calling. And he girded himself. He rose from the evening meal, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. What's wrong with this picture? There's, a, there's supposed to be a servant in the room that did this. Like, you know, like when you look at Abigail and, and how she treated David and his men, she bowed her face on the, on the ground like her forehead was on the ground. And she said, I am your handmaid. And she, and she washed all the feet of David's men. And, and like, here's Jesus. He's a king of the universe, the creator of the universe. And he doesn't own anything. <laughs> Can you believe that? Like, I think, you know, if you look at Christianity today, sometimes it's like really funny, like, like it's turned into this big honor culture, like, whoa. And like, you know, and it's like, okay, get the security around that guy. And like, you can't even get near that guy. You can't get his cell phone number unless you're like, and you're on, on level 22 and, and he's on level 33. And you're getting up there, and then you get a cell phone number. Okay? What is wrong with that picture? I, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I get that. I get it. But Jesus here rose from the meal, laid aside his outer garments, because he, he, he lived in a position of security. Before you and I can do any serving, before you and I can do anything, we've got to understand, under, we got to understand our identity, yes. which is bulletproof. And number two, we have to understand that he, that, that, um, that we need to understand that I don't have anything to prove. I'm not in control here. I'm not in control. 
and, and I, I, what I want you to do, um, turn, keep your finger here in, in Luke, in John 13, okay? And go to John, and uh, go to Philippians chapter 2, okay? We're going to look at something here. Keep your finger in John 13, and then go, and then turn to John, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2. And he rose from the evening meal, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. Okay? He, could be, he could afford to be a servant because he was, he was secure that he was equal with God. And Philippians chapter 2 says this. It says, who, though he was in the form of God, verse 6, Philippians 2, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's what the Greek says. Okay, so what it is, Jesus understands he's God. We live in a society, and I think this is the Texan mindset, maybe the American mindset, that whatever I have in my life, I've got to grasp it. I've got to get it. I've got to, you know, my whole life is just trying to attain. And in Christianity, that doesn't work. In the body of Christ, that doesn't work. Actually, that's, that's the sacrifice of Cain, and God resists that. And what happens is Jesus is like, I'm God. And guess what? I don't even have to worry about trying to prove I'm God because I'm God. Therefore, I can, I can um, lay aside... I'm equal with God. I'm in the form of God. And therefore, I can afford to be a servant. I can afford to be nothing. I love that life. I love that thinking. I love this. You know, in, in Bible psychology, biblical psychology in Saturday nights, we talked about the index, the, the frustration index. That when a person has, this, has a, a concept or a standard that's up there that's not biblical, and their, their experience is down here, the distance between their experience and what they think is the ideal that measurement there is called the frustration index. Frustrated people, frustrated pastors, frustrated moms, frustrated people are people when we, when we take on a concept or we take on stand that has nothing to do with what God has asked you to do, right? And we wear ourselves out and we're beat up and the average pastor wants to quit after seven years, five years, whatever. I'm done. I'm done, you know? And so he could afford to be a servant. Why? Because I am what I am by the grace. I'm living with communion with the Father. And I, and I understand who I am. And he rises from the meal. And then in verse 5, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Right? And wipe it with the towel which he was girded. Now, awkward. Man, this is awkward. Group of men. Here's a man who is not dressed on his knees. He's, and in verse 14, he's Lord and teacher. Remember this. You're Lord and teacher, right? And he's like washing your feet. And, you know, like in, in Galilee, in, in, in Jerusalem at the time, they had these, we know, we had, they had these open-toe sandals, and they would walk through the street, and there was just all this garbage in the street. And they'd walk into the room, and it would smell, and it would just be hospitality. It would be, it would be expected in the culture that someone would just wash their feet when they came in. A wife would wash the feet of her husband. I told my wife that the other day. She was like, nope, we're in the New Covenant. And then kids would wash their kids would wash their parents' feet. You know that was Jewish culture. And then here Jesus begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And here he is; he's not clothed. What does it speak of? It speaks of vulnerability. It's just like, man, he he, he emptied him. Then verse, if you go to if you flip over to Philippians two verse seven, keeping your finger in John thirteen, it says this: He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. I mean, can you believe this? Let's just stop for a second. And, and I want to say this. Is that in Babylonian mythology, Hindu mythology, Greek mythology, all the gods were, despised human beings. They just despised them. They were, 
dirty, problematic, loud, um, unlovely, just gross, and they were just the servants for all the gods. And for a god to take to come down, and there's a, I have to find a piece of literature, but there's a there's two Hindi gods talking to each other, and one of them is descri- describing the the needs and the plight of men, and the other god says to him, like, well, I mean, let them let them live in the consequence of their decisions. Why would we as a god want to even come down and even, just even be in their presence? For Christ to come and to mingle and to be in the form of a human being, to be in our midst, to be born as a human being, he already is guilty. He's guilty by association, right? And, and, he, and this is something that the devil never, ever fathomed. That's one of the most beautiful theological truths that I can think of, is that Jesus coming in the form of a man, like, like the devil who is an angel, said, like, no, what? No way. That, you're, that's going to happen? Like, God's going to become a man? Like, that wasn't even in Satan's mind. He was so caught off guard by the humility of God, and by the humility of Christ, that he would come in, in the flesh and come, and not only just come in the flesh and not demand to be king, but guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, I'm going to strip down, and I'm going to wash your feet. And this is, this is just way beyond anything the devil could ever, he emptied himself, became taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. In verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter, and he said to him, and here's what Simon Peter does. He goes, Lord, and it's really interesting in the Greek. He's like, Lord, like you, you, you shall wash my feet. Are, I mean, you're going to do this to me, right? Like, like Peter is shocked, right? Imagine your professor, right? Maybe, did you go to college, and there's a very well-known professor, and he comes during class, and he comes over, and he just, like he, <laughs> he just like, you know, he's coming to you with a towel, and he takes you to take, he tells you to take your shoes off, and he's going to wash your feet in front of all, all the other students of the class. Like, that's awkward. That's like, no, do not do that. You're Lord and your teacher, and you're going to wash my feet? And what was Peter's problem? Peter was not secure in who he was in Christ's eyesight. So he's thinking, here's Jesus understanding his equality with God, his relationship with God. Here's Peter understanding, I'm not equal to Christ. Actually, Christ is so much greater. God is so much greater. I'm a sinner. I blow it all the time. And so, and so he comes and he washes his feet. And, and Jesus answered him and said, verse 7, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will understand hereafter. And if you want a hint of what he's talking about, just put in your notes, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. That's what he's... Peter is saying this in 1 Peter 5, 5. I think he, in his mind he's remembering this event. And Peter said to him, um, you shall never wash my feet. And I think he said that out of respect, right? No way, no, no way. You ever do something and someone offers you money and you just feel like, just like, so, like, what? Absolutely not. You feel embarrassed, awkward. And Jesus, and so Peter, and this is Peter saying, like, you shall never wash my feet. Why? Because I'm dirt. I'm nothing. I'm a fisherman. I'm not educated. I'm not a spiritual guy. I'm not one of these Pharisees over here. I'm not one of these smart people like John. I'm not like, like, I'm not like these guys. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's perception of the event in a sense of inequality with Jesus, he felt ashamed. He felt unworthy that his Lord and teacher in verse 14 would wash his feet. So he snaps to control. Nope, he's not, you're not going to do that. You shall never wash my feet. I feel ashamed. I feel vulnerable. This is just weird. I can't do this. And Jesus said to him, the second part of verse eight, if I do not wash you, you shall have no part or communion with me. And I was just thinking, we said this in leadership last week, you know, before we can understand leadership, we have to understand how Jesus leads us in Psalm 23. 
Psalm 23, Jesus is leading us. David is talking about how Jesus led him. Ten, ten points of Jesus leading David. And then at the last verse of Psalm 23, then, then Peter says, now I can say I will dwell. Like ten things. You, Jesus is doing this. He's going to do that. He's going to lead me this way. And he's going to give me besides still waters. And then at the end it says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I think before we can serve, before we can do anything, we need to have like this revelation of how Christ is washing our feet. We need to understand that, that like, you know what? Peter said in verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love this. Peter just jumps in. He relinquishes all control of the opportunity at the opportunity of communion. He goes, you know what? If it means communion with you, I'm relinquishing control. I think this is really hard. I think the longer you're in ministry, the longer you're walking with God, I think it gets harder and harder because you're like, well, you know all this stuff, right? And, and it's like, well, I know all these Bible verses and I know everything. And it's like, um, and this is what Jesus says to Peter in John 20. There was a time when you would lead yourself, but now it's coming a time where you're going to stretch out your hands and another will guide you where you would not. I think that sometimes people look at that verse in a negative way. Oh, God's going to only lead me in the places I don't want to go to. It's not what it's saying. I think what it's saying there is is that God's going to lead us to places we would have never, ever imagined. Ever imagined. I just want to end with this. What is the personal application here? Number one, relinquish control. Because we know that we have, we know what we have from the Father. We know that we are in a position of God's love in the finished work. Just relinquish control. And we know where we are going because God is in control. Not people, not the government, not whatever, not the neighbor, not, not, not the person down the street. God is in control and not somebody else's flesh. And I think that sometimes we look at flesh and we're just like, you know what, I've got you know, to grab the wheel. Number two, when we relinquish control, we're, we are free to enjoy communion. Pastor Ronaldo was saying this about a staff, you know, like, you know, like, it doesn't always have to be my way, you know? It doesn't have to be, because now, because what's the most important is, is that I can sit down and I can enjoy communion. That, when we meet here, wherever we meet, that's, that's like my primary prayer, like, Lord, that we can enjoy communion together. Number three, we're in a shame-free environment. There's no shaming in the body of Christ. There's no shaming in the body of Christ. No shame. Number four, you are washed. In John 13, verse 10, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs not only to wash his feet, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. I, I just want to say this as we close. Just bathe in the forgiveness of God. Bathe in the blood of Jesus Christ. Bathe in his love. And just just get alone with God. And just, you know, like, I know our minds, my mind is going to drift towards, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, or when, when you know, like, when something's off, I'm going to drift in this direction mentally. And I'm going to camp out over here. But you know something? I need a revelation of Christ. I need the body of Christ to come in. And that's what we do here. That's why, that's why we need the body of Christ. And when we are in a place where we're just saying, like, Jesus, I need you to wash my feet right now. And, you know, whatever, like, whatever, God, you are, you know, you are free to wash me. And when, when we live in that bathing of the word, we live in that bathing of the, of the fellowship of the body of Christ, then you know what happens? It's okay. We're in a place where the true person comes out, not a mask, not a person hiding in there or shame cave. There, you know, I, I just want to, again, I want to just, I just want to, like, restate this. 
But there are no steps to get to the altar with, with God. There is just, there's, there's no steps that I got to climb. There's, there's no place. Who will abide in the holy hill? Like, like, you know, that's the question of, I think, a natural. I mean, that's a good question in, in Psalm 15. But it's like you are in the holy hill already. You are included. It's not something that you and I have to try to get to. There's no spiritual leap. There is none. There, and there's no hoops and stuff I've got to jump through to be loved by. I, I, guess what? Like we heard um, um, Lizzie say. It's like somebody goes to a Bob Marley concert, right? And there's a bunch of dope, whatever's going on there. And then there's a track. God's in the midst of your Christ. You know, it's like, that's like great. It's like, no, you've got to leave Bob Marley concert. You've got to come over here, sit down, and I'm going to share the gospel with you. No. It's Christ meets us where I, and then what is he, does he leave us there? No. He says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I will make you, and I love that. It's one of my life verses. God's going to make me what I'm supposed to be, and I'm, I can't do that. Amen? So, like, thank you, Lord.